You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. This is a special Chuvas Upoiskim, Chesidish Epsak, as we approach Shuvas. Um, I think that this is something that highlights one of the most important of the Chesidish Epoiskim, but not necessarily in terms of his Derek and Psak. Uh, I'm talking about Rabbi Ram Bornstein, the Abne Nezer, uh, but statements that he made that are echoed in. Uh, his son's writings in the Sefer Shem Yishmuel, but I think that it have a great relevance uh, to our Derech and uh, and some from the Shara Frayim in his Sefer Shari Tshuva. And the Shari Tshuva appears on not the Sefer Rabbeinu of course, but the Sefer that appears in every standard Mishnah Bura edition. And at the end of Chelik Vav of the Mishnah Bura, the Poiskim and the people who have spent so much of their uh, work in Arachayim uh, trying to be Malakit and be Mavara Halocha here go into the world of Drush as the Sefer is ending and trying to connect the beginning of the Sefer to the end of the Sefer, the beginning of Arachayim to the end of Arachayim. I just really want to zero in on one line that Rev. Margolius wrote. Now, again, he started the book with his brother, and it was supposed to be a um, a, a sefer that was malakit for the reader, chuvis that are um, not so available to the average person, that are relevant to the Shulchan Aruch. That is the, um, that is the uh, purpose of the book, Shari, of this book, Shari Tshuva. And this is what he writes. And this is, but he, but, but he finished his, his younger brother. Uh, he gave him this chus to, uh, along with his money, because Rabbi Ephraim Zalman, his older brother, was a well known um, businessman who was able to help support his younger brother. And he supported his brother in the writing of the Sefer, uh, which, as, as you can see, has become standard. By the time, however, his younger brother died, before the book was finished, and it was finished by Rabbi Ephraim himself. And Rabbi writes, This idea that on Rosh Chodesh Sivan, the Pesach says, Vayichan Yisrael Keneged Ahar. It doesn't say Vayachanu. It says they all came as one. And of course, we know what, what Rashi says, and he quotes, Keish Echod Belev Echod which we all see as this great moment of coming to Har Sinai. So Rabbi Shayim says, that the Yitzhahara left them, which would mean that they reached a madrega that we, have, we, we, we aspire to, a madrega that, that, that in a sense is the, is, is the shleimus, now, obviously, you, even without the Yitzhahara, like, let's say, Odomarish and Koyin Machet, there's still a Madrega to reach. But he implies that this already was a, a, a Madrega that the Yitzhahara left them because that's what gave them only one Leib Echor. Now, I, I think that statement, the way it's written, is problematic the Madriga that they reached was there's no Yetzirah anymore. 
where we have this incredible achtus. There's no period with Vavos between us. The Yitzhahara is gone, according to them. In other words, achtus means no Yitzhahara. Achtus means you've, you've, you've done your work. That if you reach the madrega of ultimate achtus, then you don't have to do it. So, so it would seem, based on that, that you would wonder, okay, so why is it that there's more avoided to do? If that's what happened on Rishchidosh Sivan. We know that Rishchidosh Sivan was not the end of the story. There were still a couple of more days left, very important days, it would seem, from the way the Torah describes it, very important days in terms of in terms of what God's plans were. To underscore this idea that it wasn't over at Rishchidosh, I'd like to share with you uh, some statement, a statement made that was attributed, again, it was written by uh, Talmidim, and I, I don't know if, if Rav Avram Sochachov himself wrote it. It could have been these were students who were hearing uh, his, his Torah and wrote it over. Some of the material that's collected in the book Noos Desha, which is material from Rav Avram Bornstein, known as the Avni Nezer, some of it is his own, some of his own Kisvayad, some is by students, um, and to tell you the truth, uh, I, I, I'm going to bring it out as the ideas of the Avinazer, although I'm not sure if the language is exactly the language of Avinazer himself. So I want to share that with you. What does it mean when we say Sfartem? Count. Miloshen Sapir. Meaning it's like a sapphire, it's like a, a ruby, an emerald. You can see the light shining. Shanishama. Meaning our soul. Zoladurk shainen. In other words, the sefarta means you're going, your soul is going to somehow shine through. What does it mean it's going to shine through? Toyer vitazir is aguf. There's going to be a radiance that will permeate the body. Now, kola neshama is nachas. All the neshamas are one. But, but a neshama, it's true, we're all one, but there are branches and leaves. Therefore, it says, Why? There definitely was an element that they were working on from the time they left Mitzrayim that caused them to elevate themselves from physicality, from physical desires. And in that sense, there was an idea of being echad. Because obviously our, all our souls in their source really come from one place. So in some way, killing or in a way pushing away the desire for physicality and for my own particular enjoyments is a way to return to something that unifies us all. However, it's not over. After Adayin Choyusoyfrim Hasfirah. They still need it to count. We still need to count these days, which means that it's not over. There's something beyond this, and again, this, this ascetic level of I've discovered a unity in our souls. And in that way, he's sort of like on the same page with Rabbi Fry and Margolis about what happened at that six days earlier, but they still need it to count. Ba'al ke'nam ruzal ke'ish echad 
he says, he says, Al Kain Umru, Ma Biosan Lasinai Bichuva, Af Nisiosan Mirafidin Bichuva. That they came to Sinai in a state of chuva. They left Rafidim with chuva. They came to Sinai in chuva. What did that chuva mean? The chuvahi shahanefesh miskasheresh bishorsha. Chuva means the soul is able to reconnect to its shoresh, finding a, a unity with all souls there. Visham memela, when you're doing chuva, there is this unity. And that's what Chazal means. But then he adds this next line. But then they counted some more. There was something that the body needed more. It, it, wasn't as, it wasn't just, oh, I found my soul now. There's something that you have to and it goes back to the body, not the soul. There's some aspect that the body still needs. And I'm thinking at this as the emotion and the and mentality and the, and the feelings that are connected to a body, that still needed some further refinement. They said, Daber in other words, Moshe, we can't take it. Penomus bisharsha. In other words, the soul would go away. The soul said, "Look, we listen. Torah is great, but but it's so energizing, and it's and and we're so caught up with it that our souls would just stay with God, and we wouldn't be alive." But he says, "Avol haguf." But the body actually did become purer. Something happened from Rosh Chodesh till Matan Torah. And there was a, a very important aspect that we call his dachachus haguf. The alcherkach. And once they had that, six days later, kibbu when they were makabu the Torah, it wasn't as a soul being which is sort of like beyond, like in some esoteric way. They were makabal the Torah, with very human-like feelings of, of fear. And, and, and it's true, the malachim also, in a sense, fear God and have, are in God's awesome, uh, awesomeness and, 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 and in a way uh, are, are, are submissive. But this, the Abnezer, felt was very human. There's recess, there's shaking, and zia, which is, there's sweat happening as well. Very human. And the truth is that that reveals itself with the type of fear and quaking and dread and memory, that is not the neshama, the way God created us like in our source. That's something that we develop. That comes through your own working on yourself as a human being with a body. 
So normally we, we see Nasev and Ishma as this incredible level where they were like automatons ready to do whatever was necessary because they had somehow melded with God to the point that I don't care what's asked, I'm ready to do it. And the Nishma will come later. But the, the Sochet Shavar here has a new interpretation. He says, Nasa Venishma, Nasa is actually human action. Human, not necessarily physical actions that they're doing, but a physical approach, a specific particular approach that you have. Now, why is, not, why is it so important to say Nasa first? Kamoda Amrinon. We always know that there's a uh, aphorism that the Talmud always uses. And that is, we want to introduce first and we give more respect in a way to what comes out of Adrosha. The Gemara says that something that was extracted by human intelligence and ingenuity and skill in how to interpret, the rabbis always in Uchmas. Because that's yours. In other words, the neshamas being achas is not enough. Something has, has to happen to make it more individually yours. That's why nasa comes first, because that's where you live. That represents your avoda. And that is something that as great as that achdus was, it's not, again, it, it, the, the, uh, the, the Shara Ephraim, the Beis Ephraim, the Shari Tshuva, Ephraim Zalmargolis, his interpretation leaves all of this stuff out. And I think this is a, a, an important understanding of what's, first of all, what, what's go, what we should be thinking about in these days, and especially as we come to Shavuos itself. Now, um, one of the ways to approach this and the way I'd like to approach it is going back to the deaths of the students of Rabbi Akiva. And let's start first with, uh, you know, the very standard statements that you're familiar with from the Gemara. The Gemara Vamos. uh, is, is in, is in a, the sixth parakel of Yavamos that really deals with the responsibilities of men and women in a certain sense to procreate and bring people into the world because Yibam, of course, is really connected to uh, the children being born when a childless marriage um, uh, with, the, with the husband dying and it gets into halachos of, 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 of procreation. And along with procreation, the Talmud goes into, as you can see here, a parallel idea, which is teaching students. It's teaching students as a form of procreation. It's one of the, the, the lessons we get out of uh, some of the statements in this week's parsha that we're going to be reading on Shabbos right before Matan Torah, that Kola Malamed is as, 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 as Ben Chavero Torah, Kiwi Yodo, but you see the Talmud conflates it here as well. Because uh, the Talmud brings a Pasik that says, In other words, always put, put your seeds in the ground, 
in the morning and in the evening as well. Don't just say, I'm finished for the day. So the Pasuk in, 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 in is, seems to say, you're not sure if your morning seeds will grow or your evening ones. So Rabbi Kiva said that even though that Pasuk could be used to literally imply, that, as, as Rabbi Shua said, Rabbi Kiva's Rebbe, that a person should take a second wife. A person should marry another wife even, you know, if he's potent enough and can produce children at an older age, it's good. Because Rabbi Yeshua said, you're never sure which children are going to be the ones that can contribute most to the world. So don't think I'm an old man. And okay, so I'm not going to see my, uh, I might not see their wedding. But that's not your, that's not for you to reason. You're supposed to make the world better with the biological imperative that courses through you. That's Rabbi Yeshua says. Rabbi Kiva says that what does this mean, the morning and the evening? I agree with my Rebbe, it's a later part of your life. But what it means is, you learn Torah when you're young, continue to learn with the same energy when you're older. If you had students when you were young, then let your learning produce students when you're older. That's what Rabbi Kiva darshan this Pasik. So the Gemara says it's very important that Rabbi Kiva made that drasha because Rabbi Kiva actually did have students from different periods of his life. The 12,000 coupled students, meaning the 24,000 he had. And therefore, when he started developing these students, um, so... And again, maybe it means that necessarily, I mean, the Gemara says he studied for 40 years. He might, he might have started attracting students even before that. But the point is, is that those students, as we know, that uh, that there were 24,000. And that seems to be uh, part of a brysa uh, that explains why they died. The world was empty until he came to who we know, that we call them the rabbis of the South, our great teachers of the South, and we have the stellar names, Rameyer, Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Yossi, and Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. We also have Rabbi Lezer Ben Shemua. You're going to see a different version in a second, who the fifth or sixth or seventh ones. Another Brisa vestige tells us that they died Now I'm not getting into that they stopped dying on Lag Baomer or they didn't die on certain days when it was Shabbos or Yontif. The point is Pesach Teshuvus is the time that they died. Was it in one year? Was it over a series of years? Was it 24,000 who died in one shot? Um, did they die? Oh, again, this is something that we, we speculate. My guts tell me that Again, we'll see in a minute. I always understood that they didn't die all in one year. That uh, that would have been an incomprehensible tragedy. But it happened to be that their deaths occurred when they occurred in this period. This was the period. And again, what's really incredible is that there was a it was a complete like no one died outside of that period. They died mipesach laratzeres. Rav Chama Bar Abba. Uh, a 
an Amora or Chiyabaravin said that their deaths were particularly gruesome. Kuwa Mesum Misaro. And the tradition of that is that that Misaro was, Rav Nachman tells us, the worst type of death at that time was Askara, which is normally translated uh, as diphtheria, a type of uh, 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 machla where I guess the you can explain it, Benny, better than I can about exactly how diphtheria works. But it's a type of thing where you where you you find yourself unable to breathe. You can't really your lungs are are, are stuffed up. You're not able to. Um, you know, various infections come in, and it was, of course, a machla that the early 20th century was very familiar with, was diphtheria. Um, so that is the Gemara here, and this Gemara, of course. People start darshning this Gemara from the very beginning of Pesach. I want to just ask two points here. One of the points is, is that it does seem to be an incredible punishment for a lack of midos. And it, it, it seems we don't have any sort of similarity to this. Again, we, we talk about Avodah Zorah in Bayes Rishon. We talk about Sinah in Bayesheni, uh, but we still don't have the en masse uh, death of so many. Um, and if, especially if you say it happened in one time, it would be incredible. A second question, which I've always had, which I hope to answer today, and I think my answer will be satisfactory, is the incredible number of students now, it's true, at the end, we have these five or these seven. And from them, Torah developed. Rabbi Akiva, as and we know that he was clearly talented. He was special. He was world famous in the Torah world. He had attributes that perhaps no one of his generation was able to match, even some of his teachers. But that he's yeshiva, so to speak, should have 24,000 students, considering the number of Jews in Eretz Yisrael at the time, considering what we know about the other Tanoim and where they lived and the yeshivas that they held, that number seems to be way beyond what you would expect a yeshiva of that time to have. The yeshivas today don't number that much. And it would seem that would be that number seems to be way beyond. The third question, and many have asked this question, is that if Rabbi Kiva is so well-known in the Torah's Kohanim, in the beginning of Parsha's Kedoshim, a very early medrash, Rabbi Kiva says, and we all sing the song with our kids, it would seem that if that's Rabbi Kiva's klal, how could he have students that, would be the opposite, seemingly, of, of Avas, each other. If Sholeinogu Kovit Zebezeh is hating the other person, or as the Marshal writes in this Gemara, that's saying Lashon Hara, and for Lashon Hara you deserve death, then how did they get into becoming Talmudim Rabbi Kiva? It would seem that was the number one litmus test to be a Talmud of Rabbi Kiva. Now, I have to tell you that there are achronim that say that Rabbi Kiva only said this after he learned his lesson. In other words, Rabbi Kiva became an advocate for Achtus 
and Ava only when the 24,000 students died and he learned a terrible lesson. Many have said this idea. It does not sound right to me. Um, and I have I leave these three questions here. Now, having children again at a very old age, Avram Avinu marries Ketorah, who might be Hogar. And on this, the in the Medrash Rabbah, we have once again a Rabbi Yeshua's statement. Now, it's interesting that um, Rabbi Yeshua here actually says, I'm sorry, Rabbi, we have Rabbi Yeshua and Rabbi, um, and Rabbi Lazar, and we have Rabbi Shmon, Rabbi Akiva. Um, and here we find that Rabbi Shmo is the one who says, learn Torah when you're older. Um, in other words, you know, the Torah of your youth, although your memory and everything seems to be very strong at that point, um, keep, you should actually revisit some of this. It says, Now that is, it's hard to put in Lashon Hara there. It's part. It's hard to put in other factors there. It would do, and I see you as perhaps a threat, but it doesn't necessarily mean the words that I wasn't no way covered to the sense that, like I, you know, I, I insulted you or I'm speaking behind your back. People are for name Sora. Usually, a person who's aimless I'm going to give out of my pocket more to you than necessary. But it's not the same thing as um, So again, if we're going to try to interpret what this means, we're going to have to come up with an interpretation that satisfies both statements of the rabbis. Again, here it mentions the seven students at the end. And once again, it also mentions that Rabbi Kiva gave them a talk. He said, "Bni, Bonai, Harishonim Lomesu The Var Gemara that's in the Medrash, similar, but I think it causes us, I think, to move away from what's the standard approach in uh, in that. Let's see now. clearer description about what occurred with these deaths. The great Sri Ragon, who was one of the last of the Gaone Bovel, was sent a letter, I believe, from Jews, it was either in Karawun in North Africa, I believe so, that they wanted to have a accurate recounting of how the Torah came about from rabbi to teacher, the teacher who becomes a rabbi, rabbi to teacher to student to next student. Give us the breakdown. And that's the Igris or Shiragon, which was copied over and over and became really a place for anyone who's interested in his theography or to know the ages of Tanoim and Amaroyim and what was going on in the Yeshivas and Bavel versus Yeshivas Eretz Yisrael, that is really the 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 uh, the uber source for that. Um, and the Gemara says that the, the, the Shri Ragon writes about 
Rabbi Akiva. And he says that Umosa Rabbi Akiva's Atzmo Rabbi Akiva gave himself to die. And he talks here about that that generation after Rabbi Akiva died was Nismaita Chochma Chareya. That there was a lot less Chochma after Rabbi Akiva's death and the others. When it says, Vehimid Rabbi Akiva Talmidim Harbe, Rabbi Akiva's death shouldn't have, shouldn't have resulted in this erosion of wisdom because Rabbi Akiva had a lot of students. So Shrira seems to uh, uh, assume that, and, and maybe he learned that 12,000 is an example of what the Talmud often does, which is like overstate the case, that it really wasn't 24,000, because he just says, him Rabbi Kiva Talmidim Harbe. He does quote Yud Beis Elif, but again, I don't know if Shrira and the other, the Gonim, these um, statements as being perhaps um, not literal, but he says that that somehow there was a shmad. No, it comes from the word shamot, shinmem. And it has to do with just like in Shemitah and in Shemitah's karka, Shemitah's Sofim, it means a cutoff. It means the normal procedure doesn't happen, which means life and living and having your freedom or whatever rights they are, they, that doesn't occur. But a force from outside stops that from happening. And that's what we say people are mushumodim, or people are geshmater. It's because something forced their life in a different direction, and they agreed to now become Christian or whatever it was. But a shmad is really means that you can't live the way you want to live. You are forced to make a choice. And shmad could lead to death. Which means there seems to have been a concentrated campaign, but not from God, a concentrated campaign from some power against Rabbi Kiva's students. And that's why they didn't live. And therefore, since those that first group died, Klal Yisrael depended on that second group. And then he quotes the Gemara in Yevamos. He quotes that they died from Pesach Varatzeres, but he doesn't mention that it was because of a lack of kavod. Now, he mentions the names, Rameya Rabios, Yabiru Rav Shimon, Rosa Ben Shemua. And I just want to point out, although I am not sure that I'm in the right by pointing this out to help make my case, but if you look at the next paragraph of Rav Shrira in this, he then goes on to talk about the next generation of students. And he says, V'rav meir, havigomer v'choraf mikulon. The Rav Meir was the one who learned, was the most learned, the sharpest, the one who could come up with the ideas quicker more than any of them. And Rabbi Kiva gave him smicha, even though he was relatively young. And the others, however, never got smicha from Rabbi Akiva, although they were his students. 
And that was the story about Rabbi Yehuda ben Bava. Now, this Igris of Shiragon was in a way ignored for many centuries, at least as far as this point goes. In the beginning of the 19th century, Shlomo Yehuda Rappaport, who was uh, a rov and a maskil and a choker and a historian and basically a person that was caught between many worlds, um, eventually settled in Prague as one of the of, of Bezdin, um, writes in before he was when he was before he became rov in Prague, he writes in a journal known as Karim Chemed that he believes that this Rav Shiragon is the answer to the questions that I was raising, that the 24,000 Talmidim were actually attacked. He says they might have died of a diphtheria because they ran away, but they were political enemies of the state. And the reason they were was because they supported the rebellion against Rome. They were supporters of that rebellion. And Rabbi Kiva was, in a way, guilty of instirring in these students that sort of patriotic fervor for them to back Bar Kochva or Bar Koziva as the king that would restore Jewish sovereignty. And therefore, the Romans zeroed in on these 24,000 because of their political allegiances. Now, Rappaport doesn't go so far as Rav Moshe Avigdor Amiel, who takes this idea of Rappaport. And he, you know, again, he was a student of Rav Shimon Shkop, who was the rabbi in Antwerp, and later the chief rabbi of Tel Aviv in the 1930s. Um, a, 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 a very distinguished Talmud in his time. And he takes this idea that, without mentioning Shrira, and he takes this a step further. And this is an interpretation that he says that has gained, um, I believe, a lot of um, mileage in the Zionist, the religious Zionist community. I don't know, you know, again, I, I think he was just in a way repeating what Others had begun to say since Rappaport's suggestion, but I'm going to read it to you. And this is from his Sefer on a Droshot, called the Droshot El Ami. I think he might have written this before he moved to Eretz Yisrael, but clearly it was works like this that made him a popular writer in the community in Eretz Yisrael in the beginning of the 20th century that ensconced him as the chief rabbi in Tel Aviv. So this is what he writes. He says, He says, at that time, there arose a hero that was so venerated that there was no, there's no one who's ever been comparable to him before or after. His name was Bar Kochba, Asher, Masato, his his mission, Nivel Aromi, that when he arose, he was able to achieve victories that caused Rome, the great power, to sort of quake and be worried. 
And therefore they said, what, who is this person who's gotten this army and he might be successful in, in taking back the land of Israel? And under his flag, so many appeared to come and to say, yes, we're getting our land back. He saw his success, his popularity, his charisma, his personal strength. Rabbi Kiva got excited, which is true. Rabbi Kiva, the Gemara says that Rabbi Kiva in the Medrash says that the Pasuk in Parshas Parsha Balak, that, that the, the star in a way found itself the, streaming across from Jacob, that was yes, that must be the Mashiach, and that must be Bar Kochba. Not only did he say, I think Mashiach is here. So he doesn't, he says, the 24,000 students that he had, he doesn't say how he got them. He preached in them, not the Hapta but he preached in them that they should be courageous and fight and get their country back. And they were all there in the first group. And they were the ones who wanted to be the first fighters of, of Bar Kokhba and his helpers. And they all enlisted to become soldiers. And they actually, these 24,000 became, they went everywhere. They not only became Bar Kokhba's soldiers, but they figured, hey, we could probably get Jews everywhere who were in, in Cyprus and other islands in the Mediterranean and get them to come to Israel and join the Israeli army. In order to have Mamleches Behuda. So this is what he writes. Um, and it's clear that Igor Shiragon aligns with this understanding that since they were soldiers, so that's who you need to attack. There was a shmad against them, not just because they were politicians, but because they had certain ruach gvura. As he says, they were part of the fighters. So it's a shmad in a way. Let's let's get this regiment. Let's let's eliminate this regiment. And because look how successful they are, these Akivaniks. So the way Rav Amil describes them, although he doesn't explain this, would answer why there's so many thousands of them. Because this isn't about how well you can split hairs in a Talmudic discussion. It wasn't about figuring out Kachim and Tarot. It wasn't about figuring out all the famous debates and arguments that Rabbi Kiva is, is, is our leader of in terms of learning. It's about joining a cause. And that cause could create 24,000 recruits, right? And, and so this is really, as I said, an approach that is welcomed by 
the the uh, the Zionistic uh, rabbonim and, and and leaders that Rabbi and I think this is one of the reasons why the uh, system that is known as Bnei Akiva why they call themselves Bnei Akiva they call themselves Bnei Akiva because they say yes we are the new youth of the land of Israel. And the same way Akiva himself understood that we're getting our land, we're fighting for our land, and therefore we're the Bnei Akiva, not Bnei Rebbe Akiva, the Bnei Akiva, and that is really, it all fits in, and it, and you can use Rav Shiragon to justify, and that in a way somewhat explains, although it, as, 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 as Rav Aaron Hyman in his scholarly edition of the Igor Rav Shiragon points out, it's obviously at odds with the Talmud, and maybe it represents a different tradition that Rav Shiragon had as to why they died. But therefore, much of what, of the reason we are mourning is really been hijacked. It isn't so much about you know figuring out about their deaths. It's really mourning the fact that we don't have Eretz Yisrael. And really, again, you can see why as the various holidays that are uh, interspersed into Sphira, whether it's Yom Yerushalayim or, uh, well, Yom Shalom came later, but Yom Atzmut and others, it really lines up. And this way, the the even the, the rabbis of, of, of Mizrahi could say, well, we're not doing anything against Sphira. The 24,000 that were mourning during Sphira is because they died for the cause. And therefore, these events which are uh, promoting the cause are really in line on the hints that I already mentioned to you, uh, a totally different way to explain. According to one of the manuscripts that might have been written by the Abne Nazar himself or from his students, he, uh, he addresses himself to uh, a very novel, uh, novel point. We know that one of the principles that we have of mitzvahs is, is that I can help you fulfill a mitzvah. I am able, because if I haven't blown shofar and, and you need to hear the shofar, I blow the shofar, and you can fulfill it along with me. That is correct. In fact, there's other mitzvahs, even mitzvahs that have to do with speech, that I can do for you. If you're finding it hard to do birchat hamazon, I can do that birchat hamazon for you. Up to shvuas is finding, not just I need to fight my body and its desires, I need to discover what is it that makes me, me. I have to discover what is it that's my purpose, my approach. What is it that is my unique section in Torah? What is the area I need to be strong in? What is it that I have qualities for that allow me to contribute differently than anyone else? That's my shorish that I have to find. So therefore, I can't rely on on your counting. You're working on your own when you count. When you count, it isn't just I've done the counting. I've actually, as he said, I've allowed something to shine through from my soul to myself particularly, but that shining is done in a crevice in a corner and in a body that's unique to that other person. Therefore, he says, I have to count for myself. 
שימי הסבירו כמוזכך עצמוי. Because שיוכה לשוב לשורש, if you don't do it yourself, you just, you just go along for the wave with everyone else, you're not going to get back to your source. So therefore, he says, everyone needs to work on themselves. So Shomea can't work. He says, ובזה מובן, העונש של תלמידי רבי עקיבא. מפני שלנוגו כובד זה לזה, שדווקא מהספירה. What does that mean, kavod? What does it mean, kavod, to someone? We sometimes translate kavod as honor. But honor is also only when it's done with an understanding of who that person really is and what makes them unique. And I stop being challenged by that. I'm not threatened by it. I recognize it. I understand it, that it's something I don't have. So many of us find ourselves compensating and insulting and right, hurting people because we're afraid to admit who that, what that person is. But kavod isn't just giving a person bland compliments that give to anyone else. I know who I am. And I know I don't have a great memory, but you do. And you're able to use your memory to connect things that I don't, I don't know how to do that. It's true, when you connect those things, I can sometimes analyze the difference between the two and say that even though I would never have thought of the external similarities the way you did, I wouldn't have remembered the similar language. But when you provide those two things for me, I can think about what's essential about each one and delineate what's different. So that's a perfect Chavrusa team because one is not able to really do what the other does. And when they really learn together, each one fulfills what the other one is missing. But if you don't give kavod, what does that mean? That means that you're not seeing what the other person is about. And you're also not recognizing what you're about. The reason why they had to die now was because the whole purpose of Sphira I need to find what I am. And you're not recognizing that. You're not even recognizing what you are. And that's the reason why this is, it's, antith- it's antithetical to the purpose of this period. And on that, we come to another statement from the Avni Nezer. Shavuos Yomtov Koshamaod. It's the hardest Yomtov. It's a very difficult Yomtov Shavuos, he says. Why? Because you've got to work on yourself. You've got to be working. Did you work on during Sphira? 
And on Shavuos itself, you've got to figure out what you're about. And every day is a buildup from the day before. But he says that it's the toughest yontav. Shavuos is a tough Shavuos who yontav gadol ma'od. Yosem mikol shara ma'odos. It's tough, but it's greater than the other yomim tovim. Why? Ki b'chol ha'moados yesh l'kol Yisrael achiza b'shova b'guf kedushas ha'moed. On another yomtav, a sukkus or a pesach, which have their own mitzvah. So everybody, in a way, is equal. Now it's true, a tzaddik, who's a leader, an elevated person, he is more margish the Kedushas Yomtev than others. But anyone who can build a sukkah, who can get the Dawad Minim, who can be part of the experience, in a way, is equal. Even though the tzaddik feels it more, each person is basically, has the same hook into the Yomtev. Masha'en ke'en b'chag but that's going to be different. Your shvuas might be completely different than another's based on what you did for the last seven weeks. And the other Yom Tovim, although you're supposed to learn about the Yom Tov before Pesach, but when Pesach comes in that night, you're part of it. And we know that at the time of Matan Torah, what happened? God said to Moshe, Aaron, who's the closest to Moshe, he's his own. Which means everyone's Matan Torah is a separate Matan Torah. And, 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 and if you looked at the invitation that I sent out, I quoted the Pirkad Rebelezer, which is in other Midrashim, that 600,000 Malachim came out and gave a crown to each Jew. What does that mean? It means that everyone has their own Kabbalah Satayranshwas. It's a lonely place. <laughs> it's lonely. But the original Matan Torah was the same way. There was an element of Nasa, like he said, which is individualized and the avoda of each person. Matan Torah. It's not about the Achtos of Rosh Chodesh. There couldn't have been a, a Nesina Satora. It, it, it isn't so much whether Yetzirah was there or not there. Kual Yisrael is Makabal the Torah as individuals. And it, that's the only way Torah could work. I believe that on the basis of everything we've read here from the Sochachover, and, and, and much of it is even further developed in a sort of drush fashion by his son in the Sefer Shem Mishmul. I'd like to suggest a, a, a something which I think needs to be said. And that is that the students of Rabbi Akiva were able to become such a large group because what they were doing was not kavod. What it was, was a vanilla-like, sort of like dogmatic, perhaps disciplined, but not at all individualistic approach 
And when you have dogma, when you have um, a, a great feeling, when you lead with your smiles, when, mu- when much of your klal godel is, what you end up with is a large amount of students, a large amount of people. Who wouldn't be, on, on, on first blush, attracted to a, a clarion call for unity? We're all the same. None of us are different. If I feel weak and challenged by my lack of memory or my inability to analyze, I'm real eager to join someplace where that's not going to be an indicator, where we can all come together and share the same responsibilities. And yes, we study. But our study is basically not the study of exploration, the study of exciting new information that challenges, but really just the study perhaps of how to do stuff. <clears throat> the study, you know, I, I, I watched a film the other night that was done in the 1940s to give Americans a sense of what boot camp was like. And all these inductees were being taught the right way and how important it is to make your bed in a certain way. And, and yes, sir, we're going to do it. So the information, is it exciting? No, but this is where I'm part of an army, not the army of, of, of Emil's army against Bar Kokhba, an army of Frumkite, an army of unity an army of smiles and kumbaya and love and the but an army where the differences are dulled, are blurred, are not stressed. And that's an army, a group that people can be very comfortable in. And in fact, they can even be loud, vociferous. They can actually push the ideas there can be an ideology that everyone ascribes to. There could even be somewhat reason statements that everybody nods their heads to and understands and is able to repeat. There can even be, like I said, there can be regulations and rules that people will follow to the letter. But it's not people actualizing themselves in the study, in the learning and in themselves, they are blunting those aspects of themselves. And yes, it resulted in the ahafta, but it was not kavod. And the Rabboni Shalom understood that if that continued, with Rabbi Kiva at their head, that that would become the dominating aspect of the learning of Torah Shabbat. It would be a vanilla, watered-down, happy system that would continually attract persons who were not looking for challenges, who could basically ride that wave of conviviality, but they would not develop and the material that they would study the ideas that would continue generation after generation would be superficial, 
and would not be things that would fascinate and cause generations to turn to them. Yes, it was a tragedy that these 24,000 died. It was horrible that they had to die, but they needed to die. Because if they didn't, then we would not have the Torah Shabal Peh that we have. Those, remember I told you of Sri Ragon starts his next paragraph with the brilliance of Rav Meir. The brilliance of Rav Meir that the Gemara says, that no one could understand who Rav Meir was. He was so brilliant. He was able to be metara sheretz in, in 150 ways, even though we know it's Tomei. He was perplexing in his personality. He was, in a way, the most modest, but in other hands, the most courageous. He was an incredibly complex and difficult person in some ways. And yet, you loved him and cared for him. He was not vanilla. Rabiosi demanded his honor. He consistently challenged when his halacha was not accepted, and he pushed people around because of it. Rabbi Yehuda, that was the Reish HaMedabrim Bechol Malkom. These men, and Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, whether it was his connection to mysticism, whether it was other things unique in his approach as asceticism, they were all different, these men. These five were all different types of superheroes. They weren't all the same, right? One had flight, one had invisibility, one had super speed, right? They were all different. And, and each one knew what the other one didn't have. And they were able to be models for generations of students. And more importantly, their names and their arguments and their ideas that fill the Talmud are the ideas that make the Talmud the book that is the life that is that has been the life preserver for us. God understood, as the Nitziv writes so eloquently, that the whole purpose of the Second Temple era, which was in many ways chaotic, and it never really was fulfilling the idea of a real Beis Hamikdash with the type of holy life that was achieved in the time of Shlomo and Chizkiyo, the type of beautiful, unshackled connections to God. But it was there to provide the energies necessary to bank on for these thousands of years. The energies that were channeled into what we know as the edifice of Talmudic learning. Talmudic learning is, 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 is only possible when you are challenged, when it seems to be something new and different. And these, these Tanoim who spawned generations of Amarayim, what makes them them is their sharpness, their uniqueness, their difference. And to really come to learn, which is something the Rambam sort of ignored, was to know the difference between a Rav Yirmiya and a Rav Zeira, you know, the difference between an Abaya and a Rava. It's only in those, the knowledge of those differences and rolling up our sleeves and finding an affinity to one or the other or developing within ourselves that we are able to take that kernel 
of thought that is found in the Talmud and water it and let it grow into something spectacular and different. Otherwise, the laws would have just been regulations and directives that didn't have that internal energy. So for the sake of his own Torah, God had to wipe these Jews out. Now, that is, now, my friend, Rabbi Avram Cooperman, um, uh, I showed him this Avne Nezer, and of course, I added everything I just said to you. And he um, really felt that I was, I had taken things to good friend, Rabbi Avram Cooperman, the son of the head of Michala, a person that Rabbi Yoshev was so much love as a, a, a teacher and a poisek, uh, and I was Zohar to be his for four years. He has a Sefer that has been reviewed favorably by many throughout the Jewish world, Mach Savrov. Um, he's also the son-in-law of the famous Professor Zilber, who was Oleg Eretz Yisrael, the Russian physicist who became known as this great tzaddik in the giving of brochus, um, Rabbi Avram Kuperman. So Avram Kuperman wrote to me this essay about how the students could do far. Um, he, he wanted to answer this uh, based on a Gemara in Tainus, where the Gemara says that the famous Chone uh, Amago, is my son alive? Chone <laughs> Amago didn't say it was his son. Amrle, Bre Lessa. No, Chone Amago's son is dead. Barbara, his grandson is here. Omar, who he told his family, you thought I died? I just was in suspended animation. Lo, him knew. He said, you're crazy. You look, I guess you look like him, but are you nuts? Nobody goes in suspended animation. The Gemara says, Right, he heard the, the people saying, "Oh, we've got it as clear as in those years of Choni, that great teacher, that whenever Choni used to come, he was able to answer everything." So he said, "Wow, I didn't realize I was such a important rabbi." And the, he says, "He says, hey guys, I'm him. You, you. In other words, you think that you've got Choni back." In other words, you know why? Maybe it's because you're getting some of the aura for me because I'm that one you're talking about. Again, they didn't believe him. In fact, even when he started speaking them and learning, they didn't give him the honor of the original Choni. They just thought he was a, a you know some sort of savant-like person who's, who was very bright and could still do stuff. Oh, come on, you're not the original guy. When they didn't give him the kovod, so what happened was he got so upset, so he just decided that, you know what, it's worth it for me to die. <laughs> So, and as Rashi points out, if people don't give you kavod the way you used to, what you're used to having, you'd rather he himself have also died during this period? You're going, it's better that it should be, because it's clearly Rabbi Kiva should be blamed for that. So, based on what I answered him, and I said, no. Rabbi Kiva, Rabbi Kiva 
didn't, it's not that they were his students with the brilliance of Rabbi Akiva. Therefore, he's not really their leader. They were superficial students who took the idea of a haftarecha kamocha, as I said, as a as a what? It's 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 basically our sisma. It's our motto that we live by. And of course, Rabbi Kiva was in great pain. And as I said, that's that was my response to him. He didn't accept it. He felt what I was saying was too radical. I think what he is saying, what Avram Cooperman is saying, I I I admire so much how much this question bothered him. But I believe that his answer is tortured. And my answer, I believe, is simple. Now, why did they have to die in Mises Oscar? I think that it's to teach us that lesson. Again, you could have God could have just, like I said, like like Thanos <laughs> snapped everybody out. I guess that could have happened as well. But I think when people die painfully, I, I think their deaths resonate. And if they would have all just disappeared and died, I, I think it was important to know how a much of an anathema this approach is to Torah. And of course, I am not going to make light of people's tragedies. And part of the reason why we mourn at the same time that we're trying to change ourselves is to honor them because they weren't necessarily evil or malicious. And of course, it's terrible. But on the other hand, it was necessary. That's what I would say, I think to me, makes the most sense. And I really believe it is the real reason why they're now with us and why they died. And, and, and their death was necessary and they died in a way to save Klal Yisrael. Because had they lived and propagated, we would not have the Torah that we have. I want to end today, and I know I've gone very long here, but I think it was a very important message that this idea of individuality versus conformity was really behind um, a, a argument between the Chassam Sofer and the leader of the Hasidic world at the time, in Hungary at the time, the, um, the Ismach Moshe, Rav Moshe Teitelbaum. And I'm just going to share with you, since um, this tshuva from the Chassam Seifer, suffice to say that there had been um, a Hasidic community that had arisen in Hungary that turned their sharp eyes to the deficiencies of the standard rabbinic world. They believed that that uh, the rabbis of that world, as some specific ones in particular, were not worthy to be rabbis. And from his perch as the Rav of Ehel, he and his uh, Hasidim, the Yismach Ma'ish uh put out statements that said that the Rav of Patok, uh, who was not a Hasid, was not worthy to be a rabbi and should be deposed from his rabbinical position. 
Now, the Chassam Sofer was the leader of the Jews in that area, and maybe of most of the European world in terms of uh, his opinions. Um, his father-in-law was still alive, but many people turned to him for definitive statements. He was much more of an activist than his father in Archivegar. And the Chassam Sofer uh, felt that there was a, a movement by the Chassidim to eliminate the leaders that were not in their spirit. And because of that, though what the Chassam Sofer believed might have been um, prevalent, although he didn't necessarily believe that it was the, 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 the Yismach Moshe himself, Moshe Taitabam himself, there came to be, by all the small-minded people, a sort of a division between these two great men. And the Chassam Sofer heard that, that, the, that there was tightness on him. He says, I got some of your letters that reached me. And it came from Potok, the place where you de- you felt that this rabbi should be deposed, it seemed. It sounds like there were like words of of of, of uh, like as if I was saying negative things about you that you don't know how to learn and all you are is a wonder worker. And Chazal say, no, if you you can't, you're not supposed to suspect someone. I, he says, you think that I really believe you, that you're just a charlatan who's just trying to push your power? You, you you believe that that's what I think? No. If somebody suspects you of something, and it sounds like you suspect that I don't hold of you, you need to tell them. And in fact, that other person has to give you a bracha. For, for suspecting. And if you suspect that I have something against you, I actually hope you'll give me a bracha. But I'm going to be truthful about why people might think that I am somehow dismissive of the path of the Baal Shem Tov that you are pushing for you and your, and your kahilos and the communities that are arising and that are disconnecting from the minhagim of their past and starting minyanim where they're davening nusachari and I, I, there, there is something that some Sefer says that I, I, I need to say. He said, I've always said, What's in the Shulchan Aruch goes for everyone. And nobody is really, in a way, excluded from it. We're all part of Rosh Chodesh Sivan. We're all part of the, remember, like the Abnei says, we're all part of those holidays. But okay, Misha ain't lo el Torah. If all you have is the Shulchan Aruch, afil Torah ain't lo. You could be the most medactic in mitzvos, but if there's not a part of you that's individualistic, if there's not a part of you that goes beyond what the halacha is, and that becomes your passion, then even the bulwark and the infrastructure that you have is really, the some cipher says, not worth it. Why? Because an infrastructure that doesn't allow individualistic 
involvement into something unique and special, then that structure just becomes routine. And you can see that, that, okay, why do I do it? Like Tevye said in Fidelor, right? Oh, tradition. I, I don't know. You want to know why I wear this? I'll tell you. I don't know. And everybody laughs in the movie. No, that's not what we want. So he says, If you find people that are special, you can see how different they are in their actions. And look what he says here. Their heart, their own imagination uniquely develops something based on their reading of the law that makes them create something that no one else has. So something that my heart tells me is what religiosity needs to be for me. I'm going to take that approach and I'm going to be dedicated to it. In whatever that person chooses, you might not choose that. You might not choose to be the man who checks everybody's tefillin and makes sure it's in the right place. You might not be the person who learns Zohar all night. Ethiopian dark skins, the same way the dark skinned Ethiopians were considered different than the whites. The same way that tzaddikim are mishuna in their actions. Hmm, what does that mean? <laughs> it means we are different in our skin, but here he uses a play on the word or and says they're mishuna in their light, meaning the special light that they shine is different. Avotoho, but if you, it's only skin deep. An African-American, a black person, an Asian, whatever it is, the body is exactly the same. That's a body of a human. So in other words, Chazal use what was unique for them, a unique looking person. That's a tzaddik. Because his innards are part of that achdus, that Rosh Chodesh Sivan achdus, that achdus that we all need and it's essential to build on. But their skin, meaning not their external part, but there's, there's aspects about them which make them different. Of course they love you, and of course they're just like you, and they keep Shulchan Aruch, but they also have things that make them unique and special. He says, But to make a, take a whole group, and they all have the same frumkite? That can't happen. Then what's supposed to be, oh, we do something more than you have to do. We, in a later argument he had with them, was about in our community, nobody wears wool because it shows up in enough cases that wool and linen is there. We never wear wool. We wear satin. We wear silk. That's the reason why we have these type of clothes. You want to, okay, you would, they admitted themselves that Many Jews are fine. If they don't know that there's linen in there, they can wear regular wool clothing. If someone says, no, but I'm worried because if there's a 1% chance, I'm so scared of doing an Avera, there's no way I'm eating any piece of lettuce because there might be a bug in there. Okay, that's fine for you. And it's great that you're so worried about what you put into your system. But don't make that for everyone. If everybody is the same, 
it comes out of a forcing people. It didn't come spontaneously because that's the way they were raised. Then it becomes a chokli Yisrael. He says that, That can't be a movement. A movement can't be built on Hasidus when Hasidus itself needs to be a, uh, a expression of love that's unique individually to your soul, to God. He says, therefore, my teachers, who were tzaddikim, the hafla, who was, came from a chesidah, who was taught by the chesidah Rebbe, the Magad and Mizrich, and Rav Nelson Adler, they didn't have a group who followed them. They didn't have people mimicking, monkeying what they were doing. And, 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 and I hope that you'll accept what I'm saying. And daven for me. <laughs> I want you because I know you're a tzaddik. So that was what the Chsam Sofer wrote to the, the, um, the Yismach Moshe. It's interesting, for two years, the Yismach Moshe did not answer this letter. He didn't answer it. He finally answered it but he did not respond to this point in particular. <laughs> he, he answered the letter. There's other elements in this letter, which, as I mentioned to my good friend Benny, were the groundwork uh, and to appease him. And he mentions a number of interesting um, complex points in Kabbalah that <laughs> the Yismach Moshe, or Moshe Teitelbaum, really shows his complete understanding of the capitalistic system and explains it to uh, the Chassam Sofer in, not, in a non-condescending, completely approving manner. But it seems that in this debate about what it takes to be an individualistic servant of God, it seems like that was an area that Teitelbaum or Moshe Teitelbaum understood that it wasn't worthwhile arguing with the Chassam Seiferah. That divide was great. And to me, one could say that that was also really the issue here if we want to ascribe greatness to the students of Rabbi Akiva as well, or to even Rabbi Akiva perhaps, that Rabbi Akiva perhaps felt that it was necessary um, to push a certain even uniformity. Um, and again, my, again, based on what I'm saying, although I'm talking about learning Torah, and the Chassam Sofer is talking about a derech in avodas Hashem and avas Hashem, I think that the same element that you see uh, emphasized by the Sochachover, I think you see here in the Chassam Sofer as well. I think that's really, again, that principle that I think lays the challenge for us as we approach Shavuos. And it's Hashem, we still got a couple of days, a day or two, to look deep into ourselves, to discover what it is that makes us different than others. What is it about, and be honest, and own up to what others have that we don't. And to work on Shavuos night, not just to stay up, but to really think about what your approach in Torah and Avodah should be, and how it's different. If you you still got a day or two to work on it, based on the sphera, but as the Sochachavah says, 
the Rabbanu Shalom has a hashpa on shvuas that allows a clarity to occur. And I think if we want that to happen, I believe that we can come out of shvuas with, I guess, burnished with a new energy and maybe even an understanding that what we've been doing up until now has been just mimicry and hasn't been true to our area of study and love and service that was really meant for us. And let's hope that we will be Zoha. Good Yontif. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. 